Welcome to Above Avalon. This is episode 105, Apple and China. Hi, I'm Neil. Over the past few months, one particular Apple topic has been getting a lot of attention in the press. I've certainly seen an increasing number of requests coming in asking me to talk about this topic in detail. And up to now, my response has been pretty consistent. Stay tuned. I didn't think it was quite the right time to talk about this topic because it was still incomplete. We were still seeing things unfold. Of course, I'm talking about Apple's business in China. Today's episode is going to be dedicated to China. If you look back at the Above Avalon Podcast Archive, you're not going to see too many episodes dedicated to China. You would actually have to go back all the way to 2015. The goal for today's episode is to answer one question. Is China more of an opportunity or a risk for Apple? I think the current narrative that's out there concerning Apple and China is inaccurate. I don't think Apple's China problem boils down to either a brutal battle with WeChat or the local smartphone manufacturers in China. I don't think Apple's business in China is imploding. In fact, I think there are positive signs beginning to reappear in Apple's China business. Whenever we talk about a topic like this, I think the best place to begin is to actually go over the numbers. That will form a good foundation for a broader discussion. When Apple reports quarterly earnings, they disclose information regarding operating segments. This is how Apple judges performance across its business. And one operating segment is titled Greater China. This consists of business from mainland China, Hong Kong, and Taiwan. For my analysis, I did not break up Greater China. I did not focus just on mainland China. There's two reasons for that. The first is I would need to estimate revenue trends just for mainland China. That is not a number that Apple provides. And for something like this, I didn't really want to go down the path of having to rely on a number of estimates. I wanted to use set numbers from Apple that I could have a lot of confidence in. The second thing is I don't really want to exclude Hong Kong from this equation. There's a couple reasons for that. But for the most part, I think you actually get a better picture of China if you include Hong Kong into this. So for simplicity purposes and really just to come out with a better result, I kept greater China as is. What I did at first was look at revenue. It's a very simple number, but I think it actually says a lot. Again, as is usual, all of these numbers, these exhibits, they're available over at AboveAvalon.com. This week's article titled Apple in China. The first exhibit shows Apple revenue from greater China. The first thing that becomes apparent is that 2015 was a turning point for Apple and China. Apple had 85% revenue growth, total of $59 billion. That's a remarkable total. Before that point, Apple's business in China was pretty good. You had annual increases, but it wasn't anything like 2015. However, in 2016, there was a surprising decline in revenue. It caught a lot of people off guard, including Apple management. And if you take into account Apple's latest revenue guidance for the fourth quarter 2017, it does look like greater China revenue will decline again for that year. So you're talking about the second consecutive annual decline. So this has really been something new. It's gotten a lot of people talking. And really, it's gotten management to sort of go on conference calls and try to explain 
why is the business in China declining? And I don't think they've had the best of luck. You are still left with a lot of mystery as to what may be happening. Now, the thing that's so remarkable about all of this is if you go back to 2013, Tim Cook actually looked at China as being well-positioned to eventually become Apple's top market. At that time, Greater China was about 15% of overall revenue. So for Tim Cook to make that type of projection, it got people talking. It looked like Cook was going to be right. After that very strong 2015, Greater China actually bypassed Europe to become Apple's second largest operating segment. It was responsible for about 25% of overall revenue. This is right around the time when you start to see people begin to estimate, well, when will Greater China overtake the Americas and become Apple's largest operating segment? The situation changed dramatically in 2016. You no longer hear people wondering, when will China overtake the U.S. to become Apple's largest market? Right now, Greater China is Apple's third largest operating segment right under Europe. So this brings up a question. What happened? Why did Apple have such a difficult 2016, especially after such a strong 2015? Apple experienced a slowdown in iPhone sales. Now, Apple doesn't disclose iPhone sales by operating segment. Instead, we can turn to a company like Kantar World Panel. Now, this is an analytics firm that does things a little bit differently than your average research firm. They don't rely on your traditional survey, which I'm not a big fan of. I think there's a lot of negatives associated with surveys. Instead, what Kantar does is they track the same individuals and their smartphone habits over time. I generally like that type of methodology. And so what Kantar provides is a decent snapshot of how the iPhone is selling relative to others. This is another way of describing sales share. And so when you track Kantar's data for the iPhone in China, you do see a very interesting pattern. In late 2014 and early 2015, iPhone sales share spiked. Once again, in late 2015 and the very early part of 2016, there was another spike. Those were the major iPhone launches. You had the iPhone 6 and 6 Plus launch in late 2014. You had the iPhone 6S and 6S Plus launch in late 2015. But something interesting happened throughout 2016. That sales share plummeted. When it came time for Apple to launch the iPhone 7 and 7 Plus late last year, while there was a small sales share bump in China, it wasn't anything like the iPhone 6, 6 Plus, and iPhone 6S and 6S Plus. So something had definitely changed. There's no question that this data likely led to much discussion at Apple headquarters, as I think it came as a surprise to management. Over the past few months, there have been a number of theories put out there in an attempt to explain this iPhone sales weakness in China. And this is usually also when I get requests to comment on some of these theories. The first is from Ben Thompson over at Certecary. And Ben made the case that WeChat's prominence in China has reduced the value and lock-in found with iOS. This has reduced Apple to, quote, simply another smartphone vendor, end quote. 
According to Ben, this situation has led to declining loyalty and retention rates among iPhone users. So that seems like a pretty bad picture for Apple. In general, I would say that WeChat has become the consensus pick among Western media when it comes to pinpointing Apple's problem in China. So whenever there's an article about China and Apple, you're going to have that boilerplate language saying that WeChat may be impacting iPhone sales. Over at Wired, Jeremy Shu had a slightly different angle on things. According to Jeremy, Apple has been, quote, a victim of its own failure of imagination, end quote. And really what his point here is, Apple's failure to adapt services such as Apple Music and Apple Pay to local culture has contributed to fading consumer interest in Apple hardware. He makes a couple of suggestions such as Apple Music should have a free tier, Apple Pay's reliance on NFC technology isn't too appealing in China, and there are a couple other things. While those preceding arguments certainly contain solid points, ultimately, I think they end up being dubious for actually explaining iPhone sales weakness. Because when you look at both arguments, they end up positioning weak Apple services adoption, either due to a stronger WeChat or of Apple's own doing, as a sign of shifting customer perceptions facing Apple in China. This is another way of saying that poor Apple services adoption is leading to less brand loyalty and greater odds of switching away from iPhone. And there's something about that just didn't sit right with me. And after thinking about it, it, it became clear that such claims, I think they actually end up giving way too much credit to the influence Apple services play. It's as if Apple is a services company that just happens to sell hardware. And that's not the case. I think there is something more at play here regarding iPhone sales weakness besides just greater WeChat competition or lackluster Apple services. And as we will discuss in a few minutes, when you actually do compare iPhone sales share in China to other countries, I don't think China ends up being as much of an outlier as many people say. In my view, the best way of assessing Apple's performance in China and trying to really get at why iPhone sales turn weak is to look at the smartphone market in China. There have been three major smartphone trends. The first is anemic smartphone sales growth. I think there continues to be this misperception out there that mainland China is seeing 20 to 30% smartphone unit sales growth year over year. That's just not the case. If you look at IDC data, the smartphone market in China grew just 3% in 2015. It grew 8% in 2016, and so far year-to-date in 2017, it's barely growing. That's a very different picture. And I think what happened here is Apple management likely contributed to this false perception that China was a growth market. You see Apple constantly talking up the opportunity tied to China's expanding middle class. Now, while the narrative concerning that topic is true, that shift is occurring, I think its overall impact on smartphone growth is much less clear. And so when you take a look at what's really going on in China in terms of smartphone sales growth, the iPhone, given recent trends, I actually don't think it's underperforming the market by that much. 
that statement may come as a surprise to many people. The second major trend has been massive consolidation. We also have intense competition. A lot of this is due to the lack of overall growth. And a lot of this competition and consolidation is happening at the low end of the market. In 2014, the category titled Other, which ends up being Samsung, Lenovo, and a number of smaller smartphone manufacturers, they represented 238 million smartphone shipments. That's a big number. Just two years later, that other category saw only 178 million smartphone shipments. That's a decline of 60 million units in just two years. That's a big deal. I actually think the big smartphone loser in China, well, it hasn't been Apple, it's been Samsung. And it's been all of these smaller smartphone manufacturers. Meanwhile, when you look at those who have sales momentum from 2014 to 2016, three stand out. Oppo, Vivo, and Huawei. So Oppo was first, Vivo second, Huawei third. On a combined basis, those three firms saw an increase of 130 million smartphone unit sales from 2014 to 2016. That's looking at it on an annual basis. So again, that's great momentum for those three companies. The thing is, it may be easy to say, well, that momentum must have come from Apple. In reality, I don't think that's the case. I think those three companies saw sales gains from Samsung, Lenovo, and really just from capturing new customers entering the smartphone market. Taking a closer look at Apple, despite having that very difficult 2016, Apple was still able to grow annual iPhone shipments by 8 million between 2014 and 2016. This just goes to show how strong that 2015 was for Apple. The third major trend has to do with average selling price. There has been a major divergence in average selling price. The smartphone pricing gap in China has been expanding. So while you have Apple sitting at the premium end of the market with an iPhone average selling price exceeding $600, in mainland China, it's probably exceeding $700, every other major smartphone manufacturer is reporting an average selling price as a fraction of iPhones. So the pricing data would support the theory that Apple and those smartphone manufacturers with the strongest sales momentum, they are appealing to completely different customers. This is why any growth that does exist in the smartphone market in China is probably found at the low end of the market. Keeping those smartphone market trends in mind, I think now we're at the point where we can talk about what is going on with Apple in China. Why did iPhone sales become weak in 2016 and into 2017? I actually think there are four distinct issues, and I want to spend the most time on this part of the discussion. The first issue is lack of new users. I think it is becoming that much harder for Apple to find pockets of premium smartphone users in China ready to buy their first iPhone. Apple smartphone sales share in China peaked in 2015, right after China Mobile launched the iPhone 6 and 6 Plus. Now, China Mobile had officially begun to sell iPhone a year earlier, but it was that iPhone 6 and 6 Plus launch. That was the first big iPhone launch for China Mobile. 
Apple saw a huge increase in iPhone sales because they launched large screen iPhones into an untapped reservoir of premium China mobile users. Once those users purchased their iPhones, that was it. There weren't similarly sized pockets of premium users elsewhere in China. When you look at Apple's overall iPhone business, new users as a percent of overall iPhone sales has been on a decline. And I think China is a big factor in that. The second issue impacting Apple is a longer iPhone upgrade cycle. We've talked about this particular issue in the past. I don't think it's specific just to China. It's occurring all around the world. But the thing that makes it tricky is I think all of these surveys that try to measure the iPhone upgrade cycle, I don't think they do a good job at it. Instead, the way I approach this is if you take a look at the number of iPhone users out in the wild and then compare that to the number of iPhones that Apple sells, it's very clear that the iPhone upgrade cycle is no longer two years. This thinking that everyone buys an iPhone and then in two years upgrades that iPhone is very US-centric. I don't think it applies to other areas, and I don't even think it applies to the US anymore. Now, this isn't meant to say that people are holding on to their iPhones for five years, but I think in reality, it is longer than two years. So turning back to Apple in China, if the company saw a lot of new iPhone users in 2015, again, that was the monster year for Apple in China. Well, I don't think those users would be ready for an upgrade in 2016. I don't think they would be ready for an upgrade so far in 2017 either. They may not be ready for an upgrade even when the new iPhones come out later this year. So on top of struggling to find new premium users, I think the number of sales associated with upgraders has been somewhat on a decline. You can see how the pressure is beginning to build here. The third issue I think impacting Apple is pricing pressure. I think the significant smartphone pricing gap in China has placed a ceiling on Apple's iPhone target market. According to Apple, switching outside of China was up year over year. What that means is that the number of people from Android, and I guess you could say Windows, switching to iPhone was up year over year, excluding the trends seen in China. Well, the implication is that the amount of switching that's occurring in China was down year over year. And I think pricing has an impact on that. I think that Apple is struggling to bring Android users because, well, that premium part of the market, it's just not seeing as much growth. A similar dynamic does not exist in the US, where the iPhone is actually priced at or below Android. So a better comparison for measuring iPhone sales share performance in China would be to look at countries where the iPhone is similarly priced at a premium. I did just that. In Exhibit 4, and this was probably one of the more surprising exhibits from the article, iPhone sales share in other countries ends up being worse than that of China. I didn't include data from every country in this exhibit just so that you actually could read it. But if you look at iPhone sales share in China, it's outperforming sales share in France, Germany, Italy, Spain, and Brazil. That sure doesn't seem like China is some kind of outlier, which is a key cornerstone of a lot of these WeChat versus Apple narratives. 
it is important to point out that whenever you talk about pricing, you need to look at foreign exchange. And I do think it has been a major headwind in China. When you look at Apple management commentary, they often try to exclude the impact of foreign exchange. And if you do that, mainland China results actually are up year over year. And when you take a look at some of these other countries where iPhone sales share is pretty weak, a similar dynamic is at play. Brazil, for example, I sometimes have listeners who are from Brazil comment, iPhone pricing is pretty ridiculous here. You could blame the foreign exchange and other tariffs and taxes for that. The next issue that I think is impacting Apple, and this may end up being one of the bigger issues. It may not seem like it, but I wouldn't discount it. Growing pains. Although Apple has done very well in opening new retail stores in China, I think the company just lacks an inadequate retail footprint. You're only talking about 40 Apple retail stores in China for a country that has 1.4 billion people. If we try to put that number in context, Apple has seven retail stores in Connecticut. There's about 3.6 million people in Connecticut. That's a big deal. When you look at Oppo, that's the smartphone manufacturer that saw the greatest sales momentum from 2014 to 2016. Nearly 90% of their smartphone sales took place through brick and mortar. This whole narrative, and it really got kicked off from Xiaomi about, oh, well, we could just sell phones online. That's not really, that's not the full story. And now we have Xiaomi kind of going back and saying, yeah, we're going to do brick and mortar as well. When you look at it, Apple just doesn't have the kind of retail penetration that it needs in tier one, two, and three cities in China. Now, while consumers do have the option of buying Apple products through carriers and third-party retailers, I think there are drawbacks found with that. I think there are negatives. For example, if you look at the U.S., despite selling the iPhone for years, iPhone sales share at Verizon is lackluster compared to AT&T. Now, AT&T was Apple's initial partner in the U.S., Many have speculated that that lower sales share at Verizon is due to the way smartphones are sold there. Sales clerks have sway over consumer purchasing decisions. I don't think that issue is really exclusive just to the U.S. The big point with Apple retail stores is they represent the best way for management to push the Apple experience. It's just not possible to do that with third-party retailers. Now, considering that it took Apple two years to open 20 stores in China, I don't think this issue is going to be solved anytime soon. It's probably going to take years for Apple to fix. I do think it has a role. It has an impact on how Apple is doing with the broader market, especially when you start going out into maybe those tier two and three cities in China. This brings us to WeChat. If you noticed, none of those four issues that I think are impacting Apple in China dealt with WeChat. Apple's main issues in China are related to the underlying structure of the smartphone market and Apple's infrastructure and distribution. It is not due to greater WeChat competition. So why then is WeChat positioned as Apple's arch nemesis in China? I think it comes down to people really just don't know how to handle the WeChat versus Apple relationship. I think a lot of people are asking themselves, if users spend all of their time and attention within the WeChat ecosystem, is Apple's ecosystem negatively impacted? 
is WeChat cultivating a user base that views Apple as just a premium-priced hardware provider? In such a case, maybe hardware sales are going to be less consistent. Maybe you're going to see this bumpiness in results. The problem that I see is a lot of this Apple and WeChat analysis, it's just based on anecdotal evidence. In an effort to move beyond that, I actually turned to WeChat. The company disclosed that half of its 900 million monthly active users spend 90 minutes a day on a WeChat property. Now, I made an assumption there. I think that Tencent Management, Tencent is WeChat's parent company, is being honest with those numbers. I think if users are spending more time on a WeChat property, they would say so. And don't get me wrong, 90 minutes a day on a WeChat property is remarkable. It's a significant amount of time. WeChat is seeing success on a scale that is not seen elsewhere. You don't see Facebook, Snapchat. They're, they're not in the same league. However, there is an issue here. We use our smartphones for more than 90 minutes a day. In fact, current estimates peg average smartphone usage at around five hours per day. Now, I'm sure that a certain portion of WeChat users probably do spend hours and hours on WeChat property, but it's not 900 million people. It's a portion of that. And so I think that while you do have users heavily invested in WeChat, they're using other services besides WeChat. App Annie was recently out with a report pegging Chinese smartphone users as relying on 10 apps on a daily basis. If you look at monthly usage, that number goes to 30 apps. While you can take issue with looking at averages for such data, and we could assume that those estimates are being very generous, even after all of that, I think the narrative that WeChat users only use WeChat is exaggerated. However, that may not be even the topic to really focus on when looking at WeChat. Instead, I think there's a broader question here. What is Apple actually selling in China? Is it iOS? Is it services? Is it hardware? Apple ends up selling the same thing in China as it does in every other country. Apple is selling an experience. So even if Apple sells an iPhone, and it's used exclusively for WeChat. That ends up being part of the Apple experience. Yes, Apple management would certainly like to see people using their first-party services. But in reality, I don't think usage for those services is a requirement for Apple to succeed in a market. Apple is not a services company. Instead, services are meant to add value to Apple hardware. This is the primary reason why I don't look at Apple's service usage as being directly tied to loyalty and retention. I think there's a much more complicated dynamic at play. For example, in the US, Apple Pay usage remains surprisingly low, and a lot of this is due to the lack of retailer acceptance. True story, I was on vacation recently, and the location I was at, there seemed to be more retailers, more restaurants that would only accept cash than credit or debit cards. And we're not even talking about Apple Pay. I didn't see anyone who actually accepted Apple Pay. That's a problem. Now, granted, is that impacting Apple loyalty? Is low Apple Pay usage impacting Apple loyalty in the US? I don't think so. And then you look at streaming music. You have Apple Music. You have others who are using Spotify, Amazon. Is that really impacting Apple loyalty? Is it dependent on Apple Music adoption? 
I don't think so. I think there's a lot more to it. And that's one reason why I just don't buy the WeChat is impacting Apple through lower loyalty, less retention. I just don't think that's really the case. This brings us to the initial question that was put out there at the beginning of the episode. Is China more of an opportunity or a risk for Apple? Can we look at that $45 billion of annual revenue from the region as a base for future growth? Or is it likely that that number is going to continue to decline over time? Upon closer examination, there are signs of a bottoming process appearing for Apple in greater China. I noticed four things. The first is that revenue trends are stabilizing. When you go back to Apple's third quarter earnings conference call, management did comment how mainland China revenue trends were flat year over year, excluding the currency. It was up a little bit. Yes, Hong Kong sales were still down, which I think is still a concern, Yet year-over-year revenue trends for the entire greater China operating segment have now improved for the past two quarters. The way I would describe that is that while Apple is clearly not out of danger, it does seem like the operating segment has found some sort of stabilization. The second item, which I think is a very big deal, iPhone sales share is improving. The Kantar data that we discussed earlier in the episode shows two months of improvement in mainland China. That's especially interesting because usually once a new year kicks off, you then see iPhone sales share continue to decline all the way until new iPhones are released. So what can cause a sudden increase in iPhone sales share in mainland China? There's two possible reasons. It could be the product red iPhone 7, 7 plus, which could be a great seller in China. And there could also be some sort of natural bottoming process occurring where existing iPhone users are ready for an upgrade. It is also possible that since we are looking at sales share, maybe other manufacturers are just seeing weaker trends. And so that would elevate the iPhone. In either case, it is something that caught my attention. The third item that continues to look remarkably strong in China is Apple's broader ecosystem strength. We have, judging from Apple management commentary, Apple is seeing solid sales growth through the App Store, the iPad, the Mac, Apple retail store traffic and sales in China are up year over year. All of those figures are a very good sign that the Apple ecosystem is doing okay in China. The fundamentals are intact. If WeChat was beginning to attack or destroy the iOS ecosystem, Would you really have Apple retail store traffic and sales up year over year? Would you really have record app store sales? You start to wonder, maybe there really is something more here than just WeChat competition. The fourth item, which is a recent development, and I think it's a positive sign, is Apple made a notable leadership change. Isabel Gamay is now Vice President and Managing Director of Greater China, reporting to Tim Cook and Jeff Williams. So this is a newly created role. I think this is an acknowledgement of issues and trouble in Greater China. The reason why I look at this as a positive sign is it is reasonable to expect Apple to now see greater operating efficiency in China. It's also likely that we will see Apple make an additional effort to localize its products to China. After taking into consideration the issues that I think are actually impacting Apple in China, many of which have to do with the broader smartphone market, pricing and growth, and taking into consideration signs of some sort of stabilization, 
which are a little bit surprising given the time of year. I do think China still represents an opportunity for Apple. This doesn't mean that Apple is now in the clear and the current strategy is going to work marvelously and we're going to just see revenue bounce right back. Instead, I think the fundamentals do look a lot better than people think. Additional strategy adjustments will also go a long way. And I listed a couple of those adjustments over at AboveAvalon.com in the article. We have continue fine-tuning products to better fit local culture. I really don't think there's any downside to spending additional resources on that effort. You did see Apple do some of this in iOS 11. I think you're going to continue to see this going forward. It's going to be a bigger emphasis for the company. There are significant benefits attached to Apple embarking on a massive retail store expansion in mainland China. I think a strong case can be made that Apple could have hundreds of stores located throughout China. The geopolitical environment. Obviously, this is probably one of the bigger risks facing Apple and China. It's crucial for Apple to continue strengthening its relationships with key partners in China. We're actually looking at Tencent. Yes, I think Tencent's more of a partner than an enemy for Apple. I've written about this in the past, but people are underestimating how strong of a partner Foxconn can be for Apple and China. And the fourth strategy adjustment, really, I don't think it's necessarily an adjustment, but Apple should remain steadfast on taking a long-term view on China. It would be wrong for Apple to come out with a cheap iPhone to try to boost quarterly iPhone sales. Instead, the focus should be, and I think continues to be, on forming a foundation for the Apple brand. This is similar to what Apple is trying to do in India. There's no question that Apple has been making mistakes in both India and China, but I think when you look at where the company has come from, there has been also a lot of success. At the end of the day, Apple is being graded on a curve in China. The company is on track to report $45 billion of revenue in Greater China in 2017. You have Apple peers in the U.S. that may never see revenue at all in China. That statement isn't meant to belittle Apple's problems in the country, but I do think fundamentals appear to be intact. Apple's ultimate goal in China is similar to its goal in every other country. Sell tools that are capable of improving people's lives. Apple is going to be just fine in China, even if people end up relying on WeChat to improve their Apple tools. That's going to do it for today's episode. If you enjoy this type of Apple analysis and you would like more of it throughout the week, I think you'd be interested in becoming an Above Avalon member. Cornerstone of membership is access to my exclusive daily email all about Apple. Each email is about 2,000 words and covers two to three stories. So we cover everything from strategy and business analysis to financial modeling and my estimates. We go over observations that I have about current news events, including competitors, industries that Apple plays in. We also go over, of course, Apple earnings. I send information from Apple keynotes. The list goes on. Basically, if something matters to Apple, we very likely will cover it in these daily emails. Above Avalon members also have the option of joining the Above Avalon team in Slack, so you can chat with other Above Avalon members. And this is also where the archive exists, so you can go back and read previous daily emails. If you want to take a look at the headlines from all of the previous daily emails, just head on over to AboveAvalon.com. 
and then go to the daily emails tab. Each email is listed all the way back to May 2015. Above Avalon is 100% supported by its members. So if you are a member, thank you. And if you are thinking of becoming a member, just head on over to AboveAvalon.com and then click on the membership page. Membership is $10 per month or $100 per year. With that, we will conclude today's episode. I'll talk to you all later.